0: there's only one thing more exciting than watching patrick Mahomes and josh allen go back and forth for three hours listening to triple click welcome to triple click where we bring the games to you today we are talking about uncharted what is the deal with that old game series plus a little bit of activision blizzard and the big acquisition I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Kirk Hamilton.
1: And I'm Maddie Myers. Hey, hello. We are back
0: for another it's us. episode. We sure Clickety are. Clickity click click. <laughs> As Maddie Myers might say. yeah, You know, as they, as they always say.
1: Forgot I said that immediately after saying it. <laughs> and it was funny to see other people say it to me after we released the episode.
0: The other day, I went to the gym and I was wearing my Triple Click t-shirt, which uh, anyone can buy now using a link to in the show description. They'll let
1: anyone buy it. And, uh, Just
0: anybody. They won't stop So you. I was at the gym. I'm at the gym and I'm, I'm wearing my Triple Click shirt and nobody came up and said anything. Oh, I thought you were going to be like yeah. some guy's like, hey! No, nope. no, nope. nope. Jason nope. Schreier, not yet. One day. And
1: then Ken Levine walked in. He's like, "I heard <laughs> yeah, your right? latest episode, That's... and I have some thoughts. I
0: yeah have some feedback <laughs> for all of you." But hey. <laughs> if you want to become a triple click supporter and help us make this show possible without which, I mean, without a show, we wouldn't be able to sell t-shirts. So like, really that's the end goal. I mean, we could, but I I think Um, it's
1: better to sell t-shirts with a show. I think it makes more sense.
0: As you may know, we are entirely listener supported. Um, other than the t-shirts, I guess. But those don't really <laughs> make as much money, to be honest. I mean, that's
2: listener support,
0: too. I mean,
1: one, one assumes listeners are buying those. So I think yeah, it's that's fair true. to say we're listener-supported.
0: We are entirely listener supported then, uh, we don't have any ads. We make the show, the show is possible because of you all, because of all you fun, fine, MaxFun members. Um, and Hey, if you become a MaxFun member, not only do you get that warm fuzzy feeling that comes with supporting this, your favorite games podcast, your favorite of any of your podcasts, you also get a monthly bonus episode, including a ton of cool stuff from us recently. Um, we talked about The Matrix last month. Um, before that, we talked about uh, our favorite things, non-gaming things of 2021. And this month, I think uh, it's safe to announce that yes, for Yes, we should. Yeah. February, Give people time to watch the thing we're going to talk about. Oh, not this month. It's not February yet. Next month. Next month for, yes, February. for February. We February, we will yes. be doing a Beans cast on Yellow Jackets, which buzz, buzz, buzz. Uh, is, yeah. is the buzzy show that the three People of us have been obsessed it. with. We've all Get been a frequently time messaging each other about it. It's really great. We'll be talking about the whole first season and and getting into spoilers and predicting what's what's to come and mm-hmm. lots of fun stuff. Revealing it's really, which it's...
1: lost characters we think are most like which <laughs> Yellow Jackets characters. Oh, yeah.
0: I have a whole rubric. Jason is amazing. I will amazing. share that on the Beans cast. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Remind me. Don't let me forget to do that okay, one. Okay, I'm writing it Miami. down. Jason Great.
2: lost taxonomy. Yes,
0: please. <laughs> um, And of course, you can become a member by going to maximumfundorg slash join. And if you do that, we are very appreciative. So, on yeah. with the show. Kirk, take us away. All right. We are talking about two things this week.
2: We have a main topic and... First, we have a secondary topic. Last week, Microsoft stunned the world of gaming by announcing a planned acquisition of Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion. The Take Factory has been working overtime (laughs) with so many questions raised as to what this means for... The unionization drive at Activision Blizzard, the ongoing scandal and lawsuit regarding widespread alleged sexual harassment and workplace abuse, the likelihood of FTC intervention in such a massive acquisition, and of course, the fate (laughs) of beloved Cherubic CEO Bobby Kotick, who at least according to reports will depart the company once the acquisition is complete, scheduled for 2023. But of course, that all remains to be written. So, yeah, big news happened um, as we normally would have been recording last week. We recorded early. So now we can finally talk about it. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious what the two of you think, because you've probably been working, especially last week, on covering this. So, yeah, uh, who wants to go first? What's your take?
1: Oh, it's so overwhelming. I was thinking today (laughs) about how I'd have to talk about this, and it already feels like... So much has happened since then, and I've—I've yeah. there been so many sleeps since then. Who even remembers a week ago? But yeah, that was a wild Tuesday for us at Polygon, and a wild Tuesday that began with a G chat from Jason telling me that news would happen imminently, and I joked, <laughs> "What? Microsoft buying Nintendo?" And I still—I believe
2: Jason's response was
0: not far off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I curse myself for not getting that right, uh, but yeah, it was. It was wild. I was um, wearing my gym clothes as I wrote up our very first news post of the day because I had just worked out and I was the first to see the news at, at eight. 30 a.m. And that was the rest of our day at Polygon, was just all of us having impromptu meetings and talking about what it would mean, how much Microsoft owns, which the scope of that is absurd. What's going to happen to Bobby Kotick? Is he going to leave? How soon is he going to leave? What does leaving look like for him? How big is his golden parachute? Too big, if you ask me personally what I think about it. Any golden parachute is too big for that guy. IMHO. But yeah, that was a a wacky day. And since then, I've been thinking of lot about how much it reminds me of the Disney acquisition of Fox, not only because Mm -hmm. the price points are very similar, but because that signaled a time period in which Disney went from being a company that people were sort of okay with the Marvel movies to being oversaturated and everyone thinking Disney was uncool. And mm-hmm. I feel like we are witnessing that change in terms of how people talk about Xbox Game Pass and how excited every journalist I know is about that service. And now suddenly everyone's like, well, wait a minute, I don't want every single video game to be on Xbox Game Pass and every single video game studio to be controlled by this. And that's, worrying just from a corporate standpoint. And lastly, I, I don't know where the lawsuit heads from here. I'm worried it's just going to get buried in all this other news and people yeah. will kind of forget about it. But, uh, yeah, at least those QS, QA testers at Raven software are trying to effectively unionize. That's also happened in this past week. So I'm hopeful that that will go well for them.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Jason, what's, what, what do you make of it? I'm sure you've been in the trenches
0: yeah um on <laughs> on tuesday i woke up uh yeah like seven <laughs> forty five a m too I was on vacation uh yes uh, yeah, and the Poconos, my wife.
1: I was working out before work because I was going to work, but right, Jason yeah. was vacationing.
0: It was yeah. I was. I said to my wife, "Hey, I'm going to be on my phone a lot today. Sorry <laughs> about, about that. Sorry about this ruining our vacation." No. So okay. So I have a, a few different takes that all exist simultaneously, and I think people tend to kind of see news like this and look to journalists and look to Twitter and try to be like, "Should I feel good about this or bad about this? Like, is this right, good news right. or bad news?" And I don't really think there's a straight answer. I think it's too complicated for that because this means so many different things for so many people. Like, it's going to mean layoffs. It's going to mean deals change. It's going to mean some people are redundant. It's going to mean that, like... Maybe what if you're the person who handles Call of Duty at Sony? You're probably freaking out today, right? Um, The repercussions of this, like, we're not even going to understand them for years to come. So please understand that it's okay to feel complicated about this and to not know how to feel uh, when something like this happens. But that said, a few few different takes. One – Um, I think consolidation is bad in general and can only hurt an industry. And in this case, Xbox is consolidating so much that it's pretty scary.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. So
0: much of the industry, like so many different companies are owned by Xbox. Now it can, it's going to get a little scary, Um, especially as they keep expanding, as they keep trying to expand Two um, I think this will generally mean good things for the people who work at Activision Blizzard. Maddie, you mentioned the lawsuit. There are multiple lawsuits. I suspect those will be quietly settled as the acquisition happens. But more importantly, this means that a lot of these people who lost all faith and trust in Bobby Kotick to run the company and to shepherd them and like help facilitate a culture that, that they all found healthy, um, I think it means good things for those people. I think a lot of them are... Cautiously optimistic about a leadership change, about Bobby Kotick leaving, about um, things getting shaken up. And Microsoft also, despite having a history, a long history of having issues of their own, of bro culture and mistreatment of women. um, I think in recent years, they've done a pretty good job at a lot of their studios of like maintaining pretty good cultures, cleaning up. Um, I think Phil Spencer is generally seen as a pretty strong leader um, for by, by people who work for him. Um, then from a business point of view, I mean, it has all sorts of repercussions. And I think the one that the most interests me, um, and could mean the most for, um, listeners out there for players out there, um, who don't work for any of these companies is that, because of Xbox's model, their business plan, they do not rely on big box releases the way that Activision did. They do not need a bazillion dollar Call of Duty every year. They do not need Blizzard to stop focusing on tiny little things like Warcraft 4 and Starcraft 3 and whatever whatever else, um, RTS games that don't make a billion dollars and only focus on Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4, right? Under um, Microsoft, you could see a lot of these companies flourishing and a lot of these developers flourishing in ways they haven't for a while. For a long time, the story of Blizzard was a story of Activision encroaching on their independence and like coming in and changing things and cost cutting and changing and, and really just exercising their muscles in some big ways over the past few years. It's why Mike Morheim left. It's why he was the CEO of the company. It's why a lot of big changes happen at Blizzard. Now, suddenly, everything is very very different and we could see a lot of cool things emerging from that you look at microsoft's history a company like arcane is able to keep doing business and keep making weird small projects because they are now on xbox game pass and so like they don't need to be bazillion dollar sellers xbox game pass can exist as a, a library that just has this eclectic mix of games that gets people to subscribe so There are reasons to be optimistic about the kind of the creative freedom that this acquisition might create at Activision Studios, at Blizzard Studios, um, and even for King, perhaps. Maybe we'll see them Hmm. do some interesting things in the mobile space. People don't really think about King, but that's a massive, massive business. Um, King is part of Activision Blizzard, of course, and they run Candy Crush, which makes a bazillion dollars. Um, So, yeah, overall, take mixed feelings, and it's okay to have complicated feelings about all this. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add. Um
2: I feel the same as both of you pretty much. And it's the timeline on this I think is just important to keep in mind because in video games in particular things operate on such a long timeline because projects gestate for years and years and years before they come out. And it's just hard to get a sense of what anything like especially something huge like this kind of acquisition can mean. For the games that we all play, just as people who play video games, just because so many things are currently in development in Activision Blizzard, and while I'm sure some stuff will change, we'll really know what this means in like 10 years. And so it's okay like you said, Jason, it's okay not to just come out firing with both barrels being like, I know exactly what this means for everyone, and here it is. Yeah. Like, Granted, that's sort of the job of people in media, and it's okay to just make predictions and try to understand things, even if you're doing it in public. But yeah, a a lot of this I've just spent sort of reading a lot of conflicting and interesting takes, and then being like, okay, well, we'll see (laughs) in 10 years.
0: Yeah, Kirk, to that point, um, look at Activision, right? Like, Activision merged with Vivendi to create Activision Blizzard in 2007. Um, I believe it was announced in 2007. Really felt came through in 2008. But it wasn't until many years later that Activision really started getting involved with Blizzard's business. If you look at history, like um, it wasn't until uh, much later, 2000, really after Titan collapsed, but a few years later, suddenly you're seeing Call of Duty on Battle.net. Suddenly you're seeing Bungie make appearances at BlizzCon. Like suddenly you're seeing this this kind of uh, loss of independence blizzard but that was many many years after the acquisition so again like you said to your point who knows it could be years before we really have any idea what this means
2: yep that's uh that's pretty much it we'll we'll keep an eye on it and we'll see how it goes speaking of things that take many many years and and focus on ancient history though (laughs) we're not going to pivot to uh to something else we're going to be talking about the uncharted series and uh and answering the question What's the deal with Uncharted? <laughs> so, I wrote an intro for this, and I'm going to talk us through Uncharted before we get going. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Are you
1: going to play one of the like title screen dramatic <laughs> musical <laughs> stings <laughs> while there's like a black screen, white text... <laughs> A quote from Oh Francis sure, Trank. sure like a
2: like a pan flute does a little yep. flourish with. Kirk
1: some... is unfurling a, a diary <laughs> that is so weathered and covered in coffee stains, and right, he right. found it in an ancient coffin. And he's I would love like to that.
0: read read Kirk's, Kirk's diary. Uh, woke up, <laughs> fe- walked Appa, uh, called Appa <laughs> went on a jog, told Appa to how, how adorable
1: music. she is,
2: told the dog that I love her. Um, okay, played guitar for a while, <laughs> practiced with scales. <laughs> Uncharted is a series of PlayStation-exclusive video games developed by Naughty Dog and published by Sony, third-person cinematic action games focused on the exploits of a group of globe-hopping treasure hunters and thieves. Whose ease with witty banter is matched only by their uncanny gymnastic ability and unusually itchy trigger fingers. The series began in 2007 with Uncharted, Drake's Fortune, a Tomb Raider alike for the PlayStation 3 that cribbed heavily from Lara Croft's adventures while modernizing things somewhat with cover based combat and a new focus on realistically animated performances and exciting bomb set pieces.
1: <laughs> yeah. You mean boomastic. Bomblastic
2: is is what I'm sticking with. 2009's Uncharted 2 Among Thieves was the one that really established the series' reputation as a boundary-pushing technical showcase. It won multiple Game of the Year awards, and it established series leads Nathan Drake, Elena Fisher, Chloe Frazier, and Victor Sullivan as liked, or... Dare I say beloved among the broader pantheon of video game characters, it was aided greatly by standout vocal performances by Nolan North as Drake, Emily Rose as Elena, Richard McGonagall as Sully, and the great Claudia Black as Chloe. 2011's Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception was met with a somewhat more muted critical reception, and along with the Vita-only game Golden Abyss, which I at least didn't really love, that same year it started to feel like the bloom was somewhat off the Uncharted rose. Meanwhile, Crystal Dynamics revitalized their Tomb Raider series in 2013 by cribbing heavily from Naughty Dog's focus on grounded character work and set pieces, and the third-person treasure hunter Snake began to eat itself. Longtime series director Amy Henning left Naughty Dog in 2014 amid the troubled development of Uncharted 4, and an ascendant Neil Druckmann, along with his colleague Bruce Straley, fresh off the crashing success of their team's 2013 game The Last of Us, seized control of the project. Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, came out on PlayStation 4 in 2016. It brought Nathan Drake's story to a close, followed shortly afterward by 2017's standalone spinoff Uncharted The Lost Legacy. That starred Claudia Black's Cully Fraser and Laura Bailey's Nadine Ross, and is also low-key the best Uncharted game. That brings us to today. This week, Sony is re-releasing updated versions of Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy as a collection on PlayStation 5. Maddie and I have both been playing early copies provided by Sony on the PS5. And of course, next month, we'll see Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg starring in a film adaptation of Uncharted, directed by Zombieland and Venom director Ruben Fleischer. Whew, those are the basics. That's it. That's that's the deal with that's Uncharted. It, I HR. finished. That's <laughs> that's it. That's uh, it. Uh, let's talk about Uncharted now. So I want to know. Let's just start with our sort of history with this series because it's been going on for, you know, 15 years now. Uh, Jason, why don't you start? What's your history with the Uncharted games.
0: Sure. First of all, it's funny that, um, Amy Hennig, who was the director of the first two games, started her career, Crystal Dynamics, before they had Tomb Raider. Right, yeah. right. She came yeah. More and did Uncharted yeah. and Crystal Dynamics got Tomb Raider. Kind of a funny little coincidence there. Um, it is uh, weird. So yeah, my history, I did not play the first one because I did not have a PS3 until like 2009 or 2010 or so at an Xbox 360 and a Wii. Um, Bought a PS3 at some point later on. Got. I started with Uncharted 2 um, because everyone said that was the best one. And so I just skipped the first one then played three and then played four when it came out by four came out. Uh, by, by the time four came out, I was a Kotaku. So played an, uh, early copy of that, I believe. Um, and yeah, have really enjoyed it. Haven't played lost legacy yet. Also wrote, uh, went down and visited Naughty Dog and wrote a chapter about Uncharted 4's development yeah. for my first book, Blood, Sword, Pixels, which was cool. Um, and yeah, have, have, uh, enjoyed all the games. I think, um, Two is probably my favorite. I'm sure most people feel that way or that although I didn't like the supernatural stuff at the end. So four four maybe uh, is more solid for me overall, but enjoyed enjoyed all of the Uncharted games that I played. And will one day play Lost Legacy. Hopefully this year I will play Lost Legacy. Yeah, you'll be in for a treat when you do it's really good. Um uh, Maddie, how about you?
1: So I was an Xbox fan girl, so I also didn't That's have a right. PS3 mm-hmm. until I started dating a guy who was really into PlayStation and had a PS3. And we lived together and played together Uncharted 1 and 2 and cosplayed as Nathan Drake and Elena Fisher. This was back nice. when I had long blonde hair. That was a couple's, couple's costume that the sure. two of us did together in that time period. And these games, they're not co-op But they kind of feel like they should be, and they feel so much like TV shows, especially the first two, which I, for fun, for no reason, and for fun, (laughs) I have rewatched all of the Uncharted video game cutscenes on YouTube this past week. (laughs) And let me just say, Uncharted 1 and 2 really go by and are so entertaining and fun to watch. 3 and 4 kind of rough don't super recommend the youtube movie version of those two games they the pacing is weird but one and two really feel like tv shows and just the quips are perfect and the lining up of that with climbing around and you feel like you kind of barely get to know nathan and elena but that's also fine because they're just these somewhat wooden but endearing characters and Three is kind of weird. We can get into it later. And then four has a very different tone that skews much more towards like the seriousness that The Last of Us and even The Last of Us Part Two have. So it kind of makes sense that um, people who worked on The Last of Us, the first game, uh, ended up working on Uncharted 4 in terms of tone and themes, which are like family and your past and dealing with those emotions. Uh, but the first two, just uh, delightful. Um, so I have great memories of playing those two. And now I'm playing Lost Legacy for the very first time, uh, and I'm loving it. And, and I'm so glad that I had the chance to try it out because I know that it. I had always heard it was Loki, the best one. And it's kind of been fun this past week to revisit this series that I don't think about at all. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now there's a movie coming out and people, normies in my life, keep asking me like, "What's the, what's up with this Uncharted movie? And what are the games like? What's the lore in the games? And I'm like... Is that not even really. a question I can answer? <laughs> <really> a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I well but hey, we're gonna answer it here on this show. We're gonna yeah, try. Because sure. Tom Holland's gonna listen and he needs our help. So
2: Right, right. Um yeah, so I've uh yeah, let me think. So I played Uncharted 2 first as well. I also I had a three sixty before having a PS3, not for any real loyalty reasons, I just did. And then I saw a bunch of people at the sort of, you know, gaming blogs were talking about Uncharted Two, like this game is really pretty special. And I, at the time, I don't remember why I was like, okay, I'm getting into video games. I think I'm going to kind of commit to this. And buying a PlayStation 3 was a pretty big moment for like, okay, I'm going to maybe be serious about writing about video games. It's going to be worth it for me to get this thing. And that was, I think the first game that I played that and Metal Gear Solid 4, I believe those are the two big PS3 games. And I was totally blown away by Uncharted 2 playing it just because it's a it's an impressive game now, and it was really impressive in 2009, or maybe I played it a year later in 2010. Mm-hmm. So then I went back and played through the first Uncharted, which is a more repetitive, kind of more limited to one location. Still a fun game, not on the same level as, as Uncharted 2, um, but, but still cool, and it gave me some of that backstory. Though, like you said, Maddie you know it's it's just this relationship between these two fairly cookie cutter action protagonists mm-hmm. um as charming as as Nathan and uh or as Drake and Elena are so then yeah um then i played all of them i mean i played uncharted 3 and did not care for it i found it to be very frustrating on a gameplay level the gunfighting i actually mm-hmm. reviewed the um what's it called the golden abyss is that it the vita game The golden vita
1: abyss one? Mm. yeah I didn't play yeah, that. Yeah,
0: made by Bend. Made by Sony Bend. Sony Bend's game, which gone. Days gone. yeah,
2: I, I had some interesting ideas, and I know it has its defenders. I didn't really care for it. I just it was kind of
0: just too much Uncharted all at once as well. You should drive over there and tell them because they're just like a couple hours away from you, and i yeah, will just show it, up. Right? I'll be like, I'm just <laughs> yeah. here to talk about
2: Golden Abyss.
0: I'm and
1: sorry, I didn't the, think the it was that great. You won't let me in. That great.
0: I have some
2: notes. I just do, I don't know who to talk to. The Uncharted people. Have like,
1: you considered uh, elaborately? Scaling the walls and just finding <laughs> some very conveniently labeled handholds, and then maybe there's like a white rope that's just hanging over the side of one right, right. one two by four that's sticking out, and then you use that for your grapple.
0: But then if you step mm-hmm. on if you step on a platform, it'll collapse. So be that's careful. correct. But fortunately collapse. there will be However, another way. However, you'll be hanging up. on
1: by one hand, <laughs> yeah. and then your best friend will just so happen to be on that ledge waiting for you, and right. they're going to reach down with one of their hands and pull right. you up. Let me just say while I'm talking about the absurd <laughs> platforming in this. It is so much more obvious if you just watch the cutscenes on YouTube how much of a superhero Nathan Drake is from an acrobatic perspective, (laughs) as well as how many times they reuse the same scenarios. Like Jason just described like Nathan Drake jumping across a ledge and then something buckles beneath him. Like when you've watched that as many times in a row as I have this week, you, you start to feel as though you're unmoored from reality that and the number (laughs) of times that Nathan Drake hangs by one hand from a cliff, like It's absurd. Like, nobody hangs by one hand from a cliff ever in their lifetime, and yet it has happened to Nathan Drake no less than 14 separate times.
2: It's his cover pose, right? He's always doing that pose on the cover. He's always hanging by one hand. It's a signature move.
1: What? And and the other thing he does, he slides down something for a very long time, like a muddy path. He'll suddenly Mm -hmm. be caught off guard and be sliding for a long time. And then it will end in a cliff, and he will have to leap over that sudden ravine onto a handhold. He won't get to leap from that slide onto no, right. a regular place to stand. No, 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 no. He will have to leap into a handhold, which it's is always absurd. amazing.
2: Another sure, thing but it's no so one ever action does. facts. It's if crazy. you've ever done any um if you've ever rock done climbing. any rock climbing, I've rock idea. climbing.
1: I've I've done so many of these activities so I'm like this is so hard. Like, I'm watching him, and I'm feeling sympathetic. Catching yourself with your like fingers. he is <laughs> barely hanging on. He is supposed to be 40 years old and Uncharted yes, 4. Yes, but
2: of course, you know, we can... That, that's part of the fun of the game. Of um, course. To, it, it is ridiculous, though, when you watch it. And, well, I want to talk about those trips So just to wrap up, I, I played Uncharted 4 and didn't love it, despite how impressive it was. I didn't love it. And then really liked Lost Legacy and actually reviewed that for Kotaku and really enjoyed it. I was just like, this is what I want, man. This is, this is like, the speed it's and so the pacing. Fun. I think the thing you said about watching them on YouTube is very interesting, and I want to, like, mentally put a pin in that because I want to come back to it. I think that just the pacing of these games and how they've changed is mm-hmm. very interesting. But I think that there's also a thing... You're talking about how... This trope, there are these Uncharted tropes that are really, you know, ingrained at this point because there have been so many games. But the thing where Nathan Drake goes to climb onto a handhold and it gives way and then he's Mm -hmm. like, oh, crap. And he like responds to it and reacts and then catches himself. Like that was really groundbreaking at first because it's kind of like an underlying thing with – with uncharted is that there's a human like a really humanizing effect on all of the p- characters as ridiculous as they yeah. are and superheroic as they are they feel like real people and they react like real people and it makes it feel more exciting moment to moment because you're watching it just feels like the animations it's like wow this really looks like a real person hanging on the outside of this building or whatever and that was groundbreaking at the time and only feels like a trope now because it's become so common
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it works really well. Like in the first game, there's this moment early on where Elena Fisher has a, a video camera the entire time because in the first game, right, she's a, right. a journalist who's following Nathan Drake around and they have not yet fallen in love romancing the stone style. Uh, so she has to they have to swim across uh, just out of this pirate ship that they've narrowly escaped to get to Sully's boat. And they have to scrim- swim across a stretch of ocean. And she manages to swim while holding her camera aloft and not getting in the water, but you don't see her do it. You just, you're, you're Nathan and you're not looking behind you. And then when she arrives at the boat, you can see her holding the camera up And Soli and the other characters refer to how absurd it is that she's done this. And there's like other points in the game where people will be like, Mm. have you not broken your camera? And she'll be like, yup. And like everything she does, she's like protecting the camera. And the idea of having that be a detail that the characters keep pointing out and referring to is it's a level of realism. As goofy as it is that she would be able to preserve this extremely expensive camera and get all this footage of every single thing that happens in that game. Like that part's unrealistic. But the part that felt groundbreaking was just that attention to detail combined with right. like just these little humanizing barks that you're describing, which I don't think they did in the first game, but I know by four. They started having different kinds of calls that Nathan would do according to what he had, if he had made it. Like if he manages to make a grappling hook thing, he'll be like, "wee" or whatever. And if Mm -hmm. he just barely, like if you barely make it, he'll be like, whoa, and like not actually sound like he's having a fun time swinging across a ravine. And it's just, I don't know, those are the little, the naughty dog touches. That's what they crunch over. That's what you hear about. (laughs) Those are the things that they add in that make a game feel much more thoughtful and coherent.
2: I think, um, yeah, I think there's something to the fact that even in the most outlandish story, little details like that ground you in the experience. When I was playing, I just played through the first parts of Uncharted 4, and there's a sequence early on where Drake is sitting on top of a shipping container wearing a scuba suit. And the shipping container is lifted by a crane out of a river and then lowered onto the deck of a ship and you're just sitting with him the whole time, and as it goes over the deck of the ship he t- he kicks his flippers off, and the flippers fall down onto the deck of the ship and it's like that that's the kind of thing where it's this totally outrageous thing like it would just be really cool to ride on a shipping container you know on <laughs> on a crane like onto the onto the deck of a ship like that's the thing I could kind of imagine doing, and little details like that. <laughs> really do ground, uh, ground it. Though I, I got to say, so I, I found myself kind of bored by the <laughs> beginning of Uncharted 4. And I found mm-hmm. this before I tried to replay it, and I had a similar experience. So I want to talk a little more about the sort of the way this series has changed. Because Maddie, I think it's so interesting that you just watched the TV version, like the cutscene version of all of <laughs> yeah. these games because they really shift and it's at uncharted 3 because uncharted 3 and uncharted 4 are both like inter inter like woven with flashbacks to younger Nathan Drake and they're mm-hmm. concerning like in 3 it's his relationship with Sully who's his kind of father figure so he's a kid and then in 4
0: he's also a kid but it's his brother so it kind yeah, of feels he has a like a brother
1: suddenly. All a of a redux, sudden, right? Troy and, Baker's there and he's uh, his a brother, brother who it
0: turns out gave him a grappling hook a long time ago but he never yep. brought it up until now. <laughs> right. And like there's just something in the way that like those games just
2: they don't they have this totally it's much more complicated and ambitious but also there's just so much story stuff being front loaded. It's taking so long and I have to say that the platforming just feels kind of dull to me right now. Like I've played so many more third person and first person platforming games in the years since these came out and at this point I'm like this is just autopilot there's no real way to fall. It's so sticky. It's basically just like Press forward on the stick and like press the button, like there's no skill involved, and they go on and on and on. I mean, in Uncharted four, you're doing this whole heist of at this like auction in this building, and it's beautiful looking and so cool, and like Nadine is there, and it's exciting, and you're meeting characters, but also there's these long sections of just like climbing around on this building, and I was really just like, I want this to be over like I wish I kind of wish that I was just watching it on YouTube,
1: <laughs> yeah, mm. honestly, even watching it on YouTube is rough like there's I mean, I guess it depends which youtubers edit you watch, but the one I watched kept in a lot of those sequences, Got and it. I was bored because I wasn't even doing it. So right. I was like, "Wow, I'm <laughs> not I don't even know pressing the stick. I'm watching yeah. Nathan Drake swinging back and forth on like a, a piece of rebar that's sticking out from a brick building because there's nothing here at all. Like, there's no plot momentum, and it's hours and hours and hours of that. And I do feel like three and four, at least in in the YouTubes that I watched, were there was way more." platforming that was super super boring and I don't know if that's true in the games
0: well a lot of this is just the biggest issue is that these okay so you're naughty dog you're coming up with this globe trotting adventure you have to create these amazing cinematic experiences like this auction house which looks gorgeous and then you need to find enough stuff so that players spend more than 10 minutes in this thing because you can't afford to fill an entire game with just these 10 minute set pieces so it's interesting it's a challenge that like if you're a movie maker you don't really have to worry about because Cause you can build this elaborate set and just spend five minutes of, of footage in it. Cause all you have to worry about is filling two hours. But if you're filling a 20 hour game and like these people, all of these companies have their metrics of like, well, we got to be above X hours or else the focus groups won't like it. Then you have to find ways to like fill that with gameplay, even if it means just climbing around for a while in a suit.
1: Mm-hmm. And I feel like games were getting longer during the time period that Uncharted was coming out, too. Like, the first couple of games are shorter, I, and they get longer as they go along, which increases the amount of effort that you put yeah.
2: in. I think, though, I mean, I think they also feel longer. And to that, I mean, I think that, Jason, that does explain why when it doesn't work, when it feels a little padded out, it feels that way. But Uncharted Two and Lost Legacy both don't feel that way, despite featuring lovely locations and you know amazing set pieces and stuff. Well, they're both much shorter. That's, they are. Well, it. and Lost Legacy is more focused; like it mostly takes place in one place. Um, yeah. Well, that's the. the but trick. Uncharted Two doesn't, and I don't think Uncharted Two has that problem. And it's just because it's a pacing thing. Like I think you can still manage your pacing carefully enough that you're not feeling like, okay, here we go again. I just got to do another long climbing sequence to get to the next cutscene, which I very rarely feel in Uncharted 2, which I played a few times, and there might be a few that I'm forgetting, but that game, especially the way that it begins, it does this whole in medias res thing where Drake starts and he's like dangling off of the, you know, the the train that's hanging off the mountain, and the whole tutorial he's climbing up, and then Mm -hmm. it flashes back to earlier, and you get some character stuff, and it's like all intercut with him staggering through the wreckage of this train and you're like what happened to this train and it's so like compelling it really just pulls you along mm-hmm. and it's i think the real issue with three and then especially with four is that they just don't have that four it's like a really slow burn it's like you're at this prison and you re- it's revealed that like drake is trying to get to something related to this thing that he's looking for and he's kind of younger here and then he's in the prison with his brother and then his brother dies and then it cuts to like future or the present day where he's like an older guy and then Mm -hmm. it cuts to him as a kid with his brother and you're like what what exactly is like (laughs) like you're not it's just not as propulsive
0: yeah well first of all i mean your description of it i mean the story is coherent despite your your summary no i don't mean that it's
2: not coherent i just mean it's such a slow burn it just doesn't drag me it doesn't pull me
0: in i -hmm. think a large part of that is that i read in the book blood sweat and pixels that the they were originally playing around with all these different Climbing systems where they wanted to make climbing feel a lot different. And they played around with like doing manual, like having to, to like do the, what are they called? Pitons, Pitons. They have to like stick them in, pitons. You have to stick them in manually and individually, and you can fall and you can slip. And they played around with all these different systems and ideas, and none of them really worked. And that game went through all sorts of development. I mean, Amy had neglected them all the project, and Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley took over. And that game went through a lot of development hell sorts of issues that might help explain the problems that, that you're talking about.
1: It doesn't, it doesn't though, because I think three, even though it had a different creative team, like Amy Hennig wrote that one on her own as compared to Unshuttered four, which I mean, her name's not even on that one, although she did work on some of it. Um, supposedly. It, it They both have a similar problem, which is they're both trying to elaborate upon the character of Nathan Drake in his past and right. what happened to him. And that is just not what's compelling about the first two games. They're a little bit stupider and simpler, <laughs> and they're more fun. And that is just the case. It's funny. It's like,
2: <laughs> it's like a question of how far back in the past are you looking? Because yeah. Uncharted 2 is looking back in the past, but it's the past of... What happened to Nathan Drake to get him onto this train that is dangling off of a fucking mountain? Like it's It's like like how did this happen? Two days
1: ago. That's interesting.
2: As a child, to have him adopt this reckless lifestyle. I don't
1: really super care. Like, no offense to St. Francis School for Boys and the nuns (laughs) who work there, but I just don't super care about what happened to Nathan Nathan Drake when he lived there and what caused him to take on the name Nathan Drake. Like, that's the least interesting thing about him. It's like the scene of Indiana Jones being a professor. Like, you see that so that you can get to the part where he's evading a boulder in a cave later. Like, that's Uh uh not the point of who he is as a person. I don't know.
0: I would play Indiana Jones as a professor. So just professor
1: game. Sim, Indiana, trying to fend off hotties, <laughs> trying to come to his office hours. <laughs> <I probably laughs> trying to, try to get
2: tenure and the game ends and you get tenure. Yeah, right, a dating sim. So. Um, so I think also to, to bring this to Lost Legacy, which I also started and have played a few hours of on PS5 as well, and I was so struck immediately by just how much better the pacing in that game is, Mm -hmm. how much more drawn in I was, how much more I like it. I think it's more fun to play and we haven't talked much about the shooting because I don't think there's much to talk about. I don't really like the shooting in Uncharted 4. But the stealth, (laughs) they finally have like a silenced weapon so you have some actual stealth tools in Lost Legacy which helps. You do. But I think it's interesting because Lost Legacy is about Chloe's childhood in a way, but just narratively. Like, it's just narrative color for her character, where she talks about, like, her father and her relationship to India and to, like, her ancestry. And that is, like, a cool character note to explore in the story. But you're not constantly flashing back to, like, young Mm -hmm. Chloe and her father as he takes her around and shows her the sights. And it's kind of a function of the fact that Lost Legacy undoubtedly had a smaller budget and a more limited scope. When you have these, like, huge Naughty Dog scope, like games where it's like well yeah we'll do a whole thing with like a young Nathan Drake and we'll fully like flesh the whole thing out with animations and like it's it's too much like they didn't mm-hmm. actually need to do that much so in the case so lost legacy really benefits from being smaller It
1: does because Nadine um ha- has to tease out Chloe's story through dialogue which is so much more effective because Chloe uh, is this very mysterious person and you don't really know anything about her like that's her whole deal she's like the bad girl who you know Nathan Drake dated at some point in the past and we don't really need to know what happened and that's fine and so then her and Nadine having this kind of like uh, antagonistic relationship and they both have their own mysteries and they don't want to reveal them it's so much more fun to have characters deal with that in dialogue while they're doing something as opposed to just suddenly having a flashback where it's like, and now Nadine's past as a mercenary and you're going to play as her in a place you've never seen before. And then we're going to go back to Chloe and then we're going to see Chloe when she's 10 years old and her father's trying to find the tusk and like they're in a fight and it's a totally different model of of Chloe because she's 10 and like a different voice actor and we paid for all this. It's like, you don't need that. You can actually just have the characters tell me about who they are now and have that reveal something without showing me like a ton of other locations
2: it's really the 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 difference that kind of that I'm thinking of that kind of encapsulates this is that in Uncharted four, so like you described in lost Legacy, it's a lot of Nadine and Chloe just talking and like mm-hmm. figuring out which and I their love. relationship is great. I mean it's really well fleshed out throughout the game. that game really is good. I'm going to play the whole rest of it. I really do like it in Uncharted Four, when Drake's brother comes back. He starts to ask him, like, hey, so what have you been up to? And it's such a fun question. <laughs> because you Nathan he takes
1: like, out all three video games. Exactly. And he's like, like well, two and is his best story,
2: one. His story can be like, here is a ton of ridiculous shit I've been up to. But he starts to tell it and the camera just sort of goes up to the sky and it fades mm-hmm. out. And we don't actually get to see that conversation, which would have been a really fun conversation to see. It's also a fun conversation to imagine. But they didn't need to show all the flashbacks. Maybe they could have just shown a little mm-hmm. bit more of them you know talk I guess there's a lot of them interacting too that game is just yeah, kind of too much it is much. and
1: it is but i i will say though that I was surprised by how much I liked Elena and Drake's relationship in four. That it's is great. the strongest That's part the, of that yes, game. Easily. That is also my biggest criticism of the previous three. Because, so, like, between every game, Elena dumps Drake and you don't know why they broke up. And it's, like, irritating to me that you don't get to find that <laughs> yeah. out. Like, they, she dumps him at some well, point. Well, and then between
0: three and four, they get married and you don't I, and know break they, up. Get they get
1: married. and get separated between right. those games. And it's like, mm-hmm. what happened, guys? Like, what? You got married and broke up. Like, that's huge. And you don't find out why. Like, that's maddening to me. But 4 is the only game that they actually break up during the game. And then there's, like, a reason why. There's tension between them. Mm -hmm. And you get to find out so much more about Elena as a person and why she would even be with Drake in the first place by the end of the game and why Drake would be with Elena and, like, what powers their love for one another in a way that, quite frankly, the previous three games don't bother to do. and So I will say, like, that was a part of Uncharted 4 that I really liked and was just like, well, this is something different that this game is doing, even though I agree, like, the first half of the game is just kind of a pacing mess and I don't I don't know why the brother character's there
2: but that's the <laughs> don't thing. I'm, invent I'm, a
1: brother four games in that's my note.
2: <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because right I, I think that is true and remember that from playing it being like whoa this stuff with Elena is great because like it's you awesome. said there's sparks between them there's tension Drake is in the doghouse for a while I remember there's this really great yeah, sequence like, where they're kind right of platforming so. together yeah. oh yeah and he's kind of trying to like feel her out and see how he's doing and if they're if she's thawing on him a little bit and then of course they do and it's like this whole dynamic relationship where you I never felt that way about his what's his brother's name is his brother's name just Troy Baker Ray,
0: about Sam. his brother Troy. his brother's name's Troy Baker yeah his brother oh, no, is Troy Rafe Baker is Sam is his brother
2: Sam yeah, yeah. Sam
0: I, I, I think I'm higher I haven't played on Force 4 since it came out but I think I'm higher on it than you two so I guess I won't replay it because otherwise I'll be uh, well I mean I'm, I'm pretty on high on, on it the end but, uh, <laughs> but the thing I really like about it other than those like quiet moments when you're in the house playing playing Crash Bandicoot so and much nice stuff like that yes. um, lovely there's yes. a lot of good stuff like that but also I like that it's a story about like addiction and it can be read yeah. pretty pretty easily as a story about addiction to work and to crunch and uh, this mm-hmm. like magnet Force that Crunch has, and how mm-hmm. uh, Nathan Drake can't escape it, and Naughty Dog can't escape it. There's Some interesting parallels there, I was.
1: Yeah, except then the ending is very bittersweet because it's about how actually the adventure never ends, and you're always going yeah. to be on the next adventure. <laughs> which, uh, yes, which, 100%. Well, um,
0: no, <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
1: I definitely ended Uncharted 4 and I was like, you guys might want to think about therapy. Like, I, I feel like I've been through a lot with you guys.
2: <laughs> so the last thing to talk about is really just the fact that this series that has always been criticized for being overly cinematic and overly, like, a playable movie is now becoming a movie. I don't know what to think of this. I think, I'm sure we'll all probably see the Uncharted movie and talk about it at some point. Well,
0: it's in theaters only. So, no, I mean,
1: when it comes to streaming. streaming, I don't think I'll be able to to resist watching it. Of course. Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, it looks so
0: bad. (laughs) I I expect it to to get get terrible reviews. Um, Because, like, it's. It's really lacking as as Tom Holland is, is lovely, but like it's really lacking from what I've seen so far. A lot of the charm of like mm-hmm. either Uncharted or Indiana Jones. Um, so I don't know. I'm not feeling it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is a permutation of a permutation because it's like Indiana Jones becomes Lara Croft, who becomes Nathan Drake, Uh who becomes a movie again starring Tom (laughs) Holland. It's like, Uh what is Uh happening? Like we we're through the looking glass 16 times at this point. Like, why does this movie exist? And it also feels like just another case of like, you know, the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider movie or the Michael Fassbender Mm -hmm. Assassin's Creed movie where they come, they go. Everybody doesn't like what's happening and doesn't understand why the movie was made and it doesn't manage to capture the magic of actually getting to interact with that character and embody them because it can't do that. And I don't think this movie should exist, but maybe (laughs) I'll be proven wrong. I said that about the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, too. Based on a Disney ride? Absurd. And then it was, like, really cute and funny. So, you know, stranger things have happened.
2: It could be a surprise, but I agree. It does feel like it's going to be like those other video game tie-ins. And they just... No one really seems to be able to capture what it is that makes these video games work. And it's not just the interactivity. It's, like, the characters. It's the performances. It's something about them just doesn't quite get translated when people... Try to reinterpret them. Anyways, we'll see. I think we'll watch it when it's on streaming, but I'm definitely gonna keep playing Lost Legacy. It's a cool game. And uh yeah, that's the deal with Uncharted, everyone. So in case you were wondering, now you know, why don't we take a break and we'll be back with one more thing.
0: Hey there, I'm Ellen Weatherford. And I'm Christian Weatherford. And we've got big feelings about animals that we just gotta share. On just the zoo of us, your new favorite animal review podcast. We're here to critically
2: evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't, rating them out of 10 on their
0: effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give you their takes informed by actual, real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks, cheetahs, and sea turtles.
2: It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears.
0: So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or
1: how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us in its
2: natural
0: habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Ah! Look, your daughter
0: doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves.
1: Well,
2: there is. And it's Ono oh Ross and Carrie on Maximum Fun.
1: This year, we actually became certified exorcists.
2: So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter.
1: Or we can just talk about it on the show.
2: Ono oh No, Ross and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. All right, and we're back for one more thing. I'm going to go first because mine is, is really, really brief and just a recommendation that I wanted to make that I'm sure a lot of listeners already know about. And that is uh, the Folding Ideas video uh, made by Dan Olson, a YouTuber, made a video about NFTs. It's called Line Goes Up. I believe it's line goes up, the problem with NFTs. It's two hours and 18 minutes long. It's pretty much just him talking to the camera. It's kind of, I would say, a John Oliver style, you know, explainer slash screed <laughs> about um, about crypto and NFTs. He actually starts with the financial collapse of 2008 and 2009 and goes from there. I watched this entire thing. Paying very close attention to it, I wasn't expecting to do this. I I saw it. I think I don't even know where. Maybe just in my YouTube sidebar. And you know, I I like Dan's videos a lot. He made a video about flat Earth. Um, I think it's called "In Search of a Flat Earth" from a few years ago. That's really I incredible. I think re-
1: I recommended it as a you one did. more thing on here, or you did because I told you to watch it. I think it's you just recommended
2: good. it to me. Yeah, and I and I had finally watched it. I've seen some of his his film criticism. He has like a great series about the Fifty Shades of Gray movies that it's just mm-hmm. sort of really funny and interesting. He also interesting. has a
1: great <laughs> video about the Nostalgia Critic. Now we're just going on about how Dan Olsen great YouTube is great. videos. Mm-hmm. He is, but he does! Good. He does.
2: He has a great um sort of uh vibe to him. It's very matter-of-fact. It's very intelligent. You know, lots of intense, direct communication. But it's also got... The, he has this sort of sly humor to him that mm-hmm. I enjoy. So this video is incredibly good. And I just... Would urge people to watch it. I know it sounds long and intense, but this topic is so complicated and so purposefully complicated by the people who have engineered this whole system that it kind of requires that to understand it. But I really feel extremely enlightened by it. I mean, I I have a better understanding now of cryptocurrency and thus NFTs, which are just totally inextricably intertwined with crypto and how that works. And also just what an insidious terrible thing it is really like I'm very convinced by his argument that this thing is rotten all the way down and it's just this like new iteration of the same old thing like of the same imbalanced powers the same wealth inequality the same distribution of of wealth and power it's I, it's so remarkable. I'm going to watch the whole thing again because it's so dense that I really need to process it. And also I'm not like a finance expert by any stretch of the imagination or a coding you know, technology expert. So it's a lot of stuff that I'm vaguely familiar with and he explains it, but he moves pretty fast through a lot of stuff. So this video is amazing. It's remarkable. I really, really respect the hell out of the amount of work it must have taken for him to put it together. And I recommend it. We'll link it in the show notes. And uh, yeah, just watch it in uh, chunks. You know, watch it in in little chunks. And it could be fun to watch with someone else to discuss it a little bit. I think it would help some of the concepts stick if you kind of did that. So yeah, props to
0: him. Great video. Wow. And also, yeah, wow, fuck cryptocurrency and (laughs) NFT's
2: god.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm psyched to watch if those. you want
0: something a little shorter. I recommend the woman a video of Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon talking oh. about the gorillas that they bought because that, that, too. that, that video is
1: <laughs> I can't finish watching that video. And it's, I, I can't I get too embarrassed. I've tried to I've tried to watch it multiple times and it's too. It is too cringe. Pretty cringy.
2: Um, okay, Maddie, what is your one more thing?
1: Okay, so I watched a movie uh, called First Reformed from 2017. Hmm. And the reason I watched this was because it's kind of back in the conversation again, even though it's from 2017, because it's a movie about climate change activism and a lot of folks were just talking about this in the wake of Don't Look Up and people were just thinking about movies that they felt approached the topic better. This is a very weird comparison point. Like, that is the context with which I approached the movie. But... I don't know if that was a logical way to approach the movie. So this movie, directed and written by Paul Schrader, he's a pretty intense dude, apparently. He's, he's done some other movies with uh, very intense leftist politics. This movie is also about suicide and depicts suicide and despair about the climate and the world ending on a level that I don't know that everyone will necessarily be up for. So I'm just prefacing it by saying that. It is about... Um, so Ethan Hawke stars in it. He plays a priest who starts meeting with a guy who's experiencing a whole lot of despair about climate change and global warming and activism Mm -hmm. and just being like, it feels like everything's pointless. Um, And his wife is worried about him. So she goes to uh, just their reverend at church and is like, can you talk to him? Because he won't talk to anyone. And the the character Ethan Hawke plays ends up himself becoming radicalized. And it's about his personal journey and despair that he experiences talking to this man and it's, I guess I don't want to give it away, but it's interesting. It's its much more internal. It's not like a comedy or anything even remotely like Don't Look Up. So it's kind of interesting that people are comparing those two films in mm-hmm. any way. It's much more about just the idea of <laughs> what you do and what you want to care about when you feel like the world is ending and no one cares about it. And also... I'm not a religious person, but I I thought the perspective of uh, being a a religious person and deciding that that should be a part of your perspective on faith and God is to care about the planet and be a climate activist was really cool and just Mm. an interesting character arc for anyone to have. And I hadn't seen it before, and I just... Thought that was neat, So that's sort of an uplifting part of the movie, I guess, is just the idea that this very Christian character, who you might assume would be conservative, is instead not at all and is st- instead becomes very radicalized to this leftist cause. I mean, he himself in the movie is like, this shouldn't be a political cause. And I agree with the fictional character on that. But nonetheless, protecting the planet, maybe it shouldn't be that radical. So yeah, if you're up for something <laughs> extremely heavy and Ethan Hawke being super, super good in a movie... First Reformed. Good movie.
2: Nice. The two Schrader movies that he wrote for Scorsese, I haven't seen. I haven't seen Taxi Driver or Raging mm-hmm. Bull. Can I confess yeah. to that on this show? And I really want wow. to see them both. Um, I know he is a very celebrated writer, but... Yeah, he, he cool. wrote
1: Taxi Driver. I guess I should have said that, in case people like don't know who Paul Schrader is by name recognition. He wrote Taxi True. Driver. That might help ground you in who this guy is. Yeah, he wrote Noted
0: celebrated is. film that Kirk hasn't seen. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk, we should we could watch those for our Scorsese Beans cast one that'll day. That would be kind oh of interesting. Boy. Do it. Oh that's boy. a lot of
2: that would be so many movies. Maybe we'll <laughs> maybe. Maybe one day. Uh Jason, what's your one more thing?
0: Okay, so my one more thing was going to be this book I read and really enjoyed over vacation. But then this weekend happened, <laughs> and this weekend, you guys, I am not exaggerating in the least bit when I say that this weekend was the craziest weekend of football of all time. I think it's I've, the playoffs. I've gathered
2: that. I think I believe you. Seems that it's way. It's the
0: playoffs. You guys, have you seen talk of this on oh, social uh, media?
2: You can't miss, and on, you know, noted sports uh, blog Defector. They talked about mm-hmm. it yes. quite a bit. Yes,
0: yes. Okay, so uh, here's, here's let me set the stage. So it's the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, which means eight teams are entering this weekend and only four teams can leave. So four games, um, one winner each. And some context here is that the NFL playoffs, unlike other sports, it's like a one-game one, one game thing. So you lose once, you're out. You have to just win four games straight to make it to the Super Bowl or to win the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is the fourth game. So unlike like basketball, you have seven games, a so seven-game series to win, right? Baseball, you have five games or seven games. So, okay, So, oh, man, where do I even start? So on Saturday, (laughs) we like immediately start with some crazy football. Um, The Titans sacked uh, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow nine times. Yet the Bengals still won, still upset the Titans. Then the 49ers upset the Packers and kicked Aaron Rodgers the hell out of there. Noted anti-vaxxer Aaron Rodgers. That was a fun, fun evening on Twitter and a wild and a wild game because they only won because of a punt return touchdown. It was crazy. Um, then Sunday comes along and Sunday Sunday things got a little out of control so first of all was Rams-Buccaneers. The LA Rams against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so the Rams um, entering this game were underdogs. They took an early lead and never let go. They were, they were didn't let go the first half. They were up 27-3 at one point. Now, some people may remember a Super Bowl a few years ago when the Atlanta Falcons were up 28-3 against Tom Brady, and Tom Brady somehow came back to win the game. It hmm. was absurd. I think
1: I won a bet against you that year, right? Didn't I win $33 for me? You? Because I bet no, that
0: Tom Brady will win. No, I think you came on the Rams uh, the Rams Patriots game uh, when the Patriots just... I just uh,
1: remember I should always bet on Tom Brady. That's all. Maddie Go just on. wanted to
0: remind us of a time she beat Jason in it. <laughs> it, <wasn't, laughs> no, it wasn't, no, 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 no. It wasn't a bet against me. It was uh, you made a bet through my online site and so you mm, won. Okay. It, was, it wasn't me paying It was uh, in person. Out.
1: I was at yeah, your yeah, house yeah. watching the Super yes, Bowl. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You
0: won. I put it in on my site for you and so you mm-hmm. won money. It wasn't money from me. It was from my bookie. Anyway, so uh so true. people are like people <laughs> on social media are like could it be could it be like like uh, is this really possible that like tom brady is going to get just destroyed in this game or could he have a comeback and 27-3 quickly turned into 27 uh what was it 27-6 and then 27-13 and soon tom brady had tied the friggin' game it was 27-27 it was inexplicable people were like oh my god i can't believe this is happening again but with just like 40 seconds left the rams came back and won it so wow. woo! tom brady's out of there might be his last game we Shall see. His reign but is look, over. Three games of craziness could not be surpassed, could they? Then we get to the <laughs> Buffalo Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs. Man, so going into this, these are two of the best quarterbacks in the league, probably the two qu- best quarterbacks in the league. So people expl- expected fireworks. People expected Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes to have this like epic duel back and forth. And for a while, we didn't really get that. It was exciting. It went back and forth a lot. Um, there's a great like seventy five year old yard pass from Josh Allen for a touchdown, which was incredible. some some good stuff, but it wasn't like super crazy. It wasn't like a super high scoring game or anything like that. Then we get to the last couple of minutes. So, (laughs) Let me set the scene. So um, the Buffalo Bills are down. It is 26-21 Kansas City, and the Bills are driving, and they have this long, long drive. Um, They are trying to kill as much clock as possible because they do not want the Chiefs to get the ball back. They just want to score and have that be the end of it. They wind up stalling at 4th and 13. They need 13 yards just to get a first down, Things are seeming dire because it's under two minutes left, and so they, they don't have a lot of time to set up the clock. They're probably going to lose if they don't convert here. Instead of just converting, Josh Allen throws a 27-yard pass to Gabriel Davis and scores a touchdown with a minute 54 left. So suddenly the Bills are up, 29 and 26. But wait a minute. Too much time left for Patrick Mahomes, 154. Patrick Mahomes takes it back in like three plays, five plays, winds up throwing a pass to Tyreek Hill, who just zips across the entire field and scores a touchdown. He goes like this. He, like, puts his peace sign up at the end of it. He's like, see yeah." Scores a touchdown with one minute and two seconds left. It's 29-33. Chiefs are up. But wait a minute. That's too much time for Josh Allen. Bills come back. It takes six plays before Josh Allen gets his way all the way, including another fourth down. Gets his way all the way to the end zone. Scores. Gabriel Davis, 19-yard touchdown pass, 36, 33 bills, 13 seconds left. (laughs) But wait a minute, that's too much time. That's too much time. 13 (laughs) seconds left. It takes 12 seconds for Patrick Mahomes to get his team into field goal range. Three plays, 44 yards. Harrison Bucker kicks a uh, 49-yard field goal, and they are off to overtime. And people were just like. Like, my heart was racing so fast. I was like, I cannot believe this just happened. With 13 seconds left, like, the chances of Bill's victory, like, on a victory predictor, were, like, close to 99%. It seemed unfathomable that the Mahomes could take them back in 13 seconds. So we go to overtime. And we all know that, so because of the NFL's stupid overtime rules, um, all you have to do is score a touchdown and then you win. The other team doesn't even get to see the the, the ball again. And mm-hmm. so we all kind of knew that whoever flipped the coin toss and got the coin toss right and got the ball first would just right, right. win.
2: More than able to score on the other team.
0: <laughs> Bills call tails. It's heads. Chiefs get the ball. Chiefs immediately takes four minutes for them to score a touchdown and game is over without the Bills even getting to see the field. So kind oh, of an yeah. anticlimactic ending to that and re- raises questions about the NFL's overtime rules. But, oh, my God, what a game. 13 seconds left to score and to somehow, like, like pull out the victory it was just like like if you look at the 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 ESPN has this great chart that is like chances of victory <laughs> if you look at it it's like yeah. it's like peaks and valleys it's crazy <laughs> that's, um, that's the back and forth in that game was amazing there were there were a total of what was it because there was a two-point conversion in there so it was a total of something like 25 points scored in the final two minutes of that game which is like unbelievable it was what a weekend like i feel like i'm still feeling the the high from last weekend's football what an amazing sport what a weekend oh my god i love football <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah I've, I've watched a couple of those highlights in there they are pretty incredible but
2: uh yes. not as much fun as as hearing you recount it. and
0: if you're curious i lost a lot of money to the packers <laughs> the packers lost me a lot of money but i won it all back because of uh the chiefs and bills going over and the rams winning so uh season weekend for me too
2: congratulations to you um and that'll do it that's (laughs) that uh, is it
0: that's another episode for us
2: thanks as always to all of our members and thanks all of you for listening and uh yeah we'll be back next week with more triple click i'll see the both of you then see you guys next week
1: bye
2: triple click is produced by jason schreier maddie myers and me kirk hamilton i edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music our show art is by tom dj some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. TripleClick is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.